Amen. Well, good morning again. So good to see you all. Gosh, it's like when, when everybody's seated and I'm up, I'm like, I don't like the whole high and lifted up feeling. So I'm going to have y'all stand with me for just a moment. Um, I'm going to um, pray over the message. I mean, we've already prayed, but you know, scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. So you literally cannot pray too much. So I'm going to pray, then I'm going to get into the word. Father, we thank you again for this day, for bringing us all into this place together. We thank you that your spirit is here. Your spirit met us here, Father, and we're just in great expectation for what you're going to do. Father, I ask that you anoint my lips, these lips of clay, and I ask that you would think and speak through them. I thank you for every single individual that's here. I declare in Jesus' name that their heart is open to receive the incorruptible seed of your word, that it would fall on good ground, that it would take root, and that it would bear harvest in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that we will receive your word, we'll be doers and not hearers only. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Everybody said amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, I don't know if you can hear it. I sound a little raspy this morning. And I had, um, was feeling fine. And then all of a sudden Wednesday, I got laryngitis. I mean, I just, I woke up and was like, I mean, my family probably liked it, but my first thought was, oh man, like how am I going to speak? And so I literally was a little nervous and I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to believe God. You know, I talk all the time about a God of miracles and God can do anything and the power of God. And, and I, and that was Wednesday morning, Wednesday evening, just about, or was it Wednesday afternoon? Vic calls me like Vic never, was it Wednesday or Thursday, Vic, that you called me? one of those days, never calls me. And I, I'm looking at my phone like, mm, do I answer, do I not? Cause how am I gonna play this off? So I'm like, hello. And she's like, are you okay? So long and short of it, I told her what was going on and she prayed with me and we've been believing God. And she told me to get this amazing tea called uh, throat coat tea and then made several runs to Five Stones. Can I get amen for Five Stones and their vanilla coconut tea? Thank you all. And, um, but I'm here today, sounding a little raspy, but ready to bring the word. And I'm like, I think that the enemy knew in advance what God wanted to do. So again, I encourage you to just lean in, to be prepared for what God is saying. Now I'm gonna have you stand for just a little while longer because I want to kind of illustrate um, something for you all. So I've been saying really from the beginning uh, of, I was about to say the month, but really it's only the second. <laughs> so um, for the past few weeks, actually, that I really sense that we are in a season of change. And it's not just because the weather is changing, but it's just something that I, I get in my heart. It's like, you know, let's just use the weather as an example. You can tell when the seasons change, you can just feel it without having to look at a calendar. You just sense that there's a shift in the air. If it's from summer to fall, you sense the weather starts to cool off a little bit, right? The days get a little shorter, right? Now y'all know you're gonna have to talk back to me. You already know this Florida girl is like call and response. So come on, wake yourself all the way up, all the way. But you can sense that. Then you see, you know, the days they start to shorten and stuff. And I have um, small kids and in the summer when we're like, okay, it's bedtime, they're like, but it's light outside. What do you mean bedtime? The sun is still up basically, cause it gets, it's not dark yet. But in the fall, we don't really have that same struggle because it's already dark. And so they, their bodies just kind of naturally go with, hey, it's bedtime. Okay, yeah, it's dark. But even from fall to winter, from winter again to spring and spring to summer, we all find ourselves in different seasons of life. But I think not just individually, but even as a community, we can enter into seasons collectively. And what I'm sensing, and I'm sure Billy and Jen, I just, I'm watching some of what God is doing here and I'm like, oh, they're getting it too. Where God is taking us even deeper. He is taking us even higher. Billy um, spoke a few Sundays ago. He speaks every Sunday, so it's one of those Sundays. But he was just talking about, you know, what, what God is doing in our midst. And he said before that it, this plan that God has, it is bigger than us. It really is. And we all have a part to play in that. So today I want to talk a little bit about how to prepare ourselves. Yes, for change, but really how to truly be anchored in the word of God so that the word of God can change our lives for the better. That we can be people that bear fruit. That we are not just believers that come to church Sunday in and Sunday out and remain the same. Because that's not the goal. Growth 
is the goal. And the thing about growth is sometimes it's fun. You know, sometimes you look down, my kids are, again, they're growing and they can see that their pants are shorter. They don't hit, you know, they're above the ankles and they're like, mommy, I'm growing. But sometimes growth just isn't that fun. My son's been dealing with growth pains. I mean, to the point of tears. And we had to take him to the doctor because I'm like, what's going on with this kid? They x-rayed, they, they did everything and they're like, he's fine. We think it's just growing pains. And so whatever season you're in, whether you're like, oh, look, my pants are getting short, or, or you're like, oh, man, my bones feel like they're hurting, God is with you. God is with us, and change is always good when God is the one directing it. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit this morning um, from the parable of the sower. Have you all heard about the sower, the seed, and the soil? You all may be seated. I was like, should I make him stand a little longer? We're all in this together, is what they say. I'm like, why am I the only one standing then? All right, so if you will, this particular parable is actually found in the Synoptic Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, um, and uh, Luke. And Synoptic basically is synopsis or a summary because they're all summarizing, for the most part, from the same point of view. There are some varying details in there, but essentially most of the stories in those three Gospels will share the same thing. So if you will, go over to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read out of the, um, the New King James. I'm actually going to use this because it's easier. Actually, no, I won't. It's easier to go here. So Mark chapter 4. Y'all there? You waiting on me? All right. And it begins, he says, and he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, say good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased. And brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him, asked of him the parable, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear. And not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan come immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, say good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. I just realized that I was reading out of the King James, not the New King James, but it's all good anyway. So here's Jesus, and there's this great crowd of people the Bible tells us that is, is um, before him. And they're on ground, on the land, and Jesus, because there's so many people, gets inside of a boat, and he sits down, and he begins to teach them a parable. And he starts talking about the sower, the seed, and the soil. 
Now for us, when you're using farm language, maybe some of you understand farming, I necessarily don't, but back in this time, they understood that because it was an agricultural society. It was a large, the majority of people actually, what they did was they worked on the land. Either they were farmers or something. So he uses a parable, and a parable is an illustration, and it's drawing a comparison. So it uses an earthly story, but to convey a heavenly meaning. And what he's saying to them is, you know, there is a sower that went out to sow the word. And before he even begins talking about the parable, he says, listen. Now, how many of you know if Jesus says to listen, you need to listen. He hadn't even started breaking down the parable yet. He sees the crowd. He gets in a boat. He's away from them. He's teaching them a story, and the first thing he says is, listen, which is an imperative. So he's essentially giving them a command to lean in because he's about to tell them something important. Because otherwise, why would he want to grab their attention like that before he even begins speaking? So I encourage you to do the same thing. So lean in. So listen. Then he goes and he starts breaking down what the parable is, and I'll get to it here in a minute. And then he concludes with, if you have ears to hear, hear. What do you mean if I have ears to hear? Because Jesus is wanting them to know that you can have natural ears, but not everybody who has ears that work actually hear. So he's saying, listen, and then essentially he says it again, hear, or listen again. So he sandwiches the parable with a command to pay attention to what I'm about to say. And oftentimes with parables, there's a comparison between two and you kind of know, you know which one is more important. And in this one, he talks about the sower, and I'll break that down in a moment. The sower, that's, that's an important part of the story, but then he talks about the seed, which is also important, but he doesn't just compare those two, then he adds a third, which is the soil. So here he is, he's seated, Imagine you all standing. I literally was going to have you all stand through this entire part. Because I, I had to. I was like, I'm an illustrator. i got to make my point. So he's seated. And he starts talking about this sower who has seed. And I read it, and initially I thought, it just kind of seems a little haphazard for God to just, you know, throw seed and it land on all these different parts, right? Because God is purposeful. God is strategic. God should, if he's casting seed, that seed should fall in the appropriate place. Why would seed fall, like, along stony places? And why, you know, because back then, unlike today, the farming techniques were different. So today you might see, at least I've seen, like little furrows or whatever in the ground. They've gone in and they've tilled. So you'll see the nice straight lines. And a farmer is probably pretty strategic and careful in dropping their seeds right in that little groove. But back in this time, farmers didn't necessarily do that. What they did with their seed, they would kind of get in the bag and almost indiscriminately just cast the seed, just kind of throw it. So before they even tilled the ground... Before they even plowed and did all that other stuff, they would literally just get their little bag of seed. They'd just throw it into the ground. And sometimes the seed would fall along the, the wayside or fall along the path or the side of the road so it wouldn't even hit soil. Some of the other seed, just as they're kind of indiscriminately casting out seed, would fall along stony places. And then other seed would fall along the thorny places. And then other seed would actually hit good soil that was moist, and then it would end up producing a harvest. And that's how they knew it landed on good ground because they got their harvest. So I want to break down a few things for you. So the sower, and I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating, that in Scripture, when there is a, a speaker or an author of the book, they are, it's a literal translation what you're reading, However, we as readers of the Bible, though Jesus wasn't talking directly to us, we weren't back here in this specific place at that time, there is what we call spiritual application, which means I can read scripture and then ask God, okay, how do I apply this to my life? So there's literal translation and then there's spiritual application. And that's why the word of God is alive because it's thousands and thousands of years old, but it can still, it is still just as powerful today as it was back when Jesus spoke it. So he says the sower, and the sower, if you guys will put that up on the screen, in this parable, in this scenario is God. 
And God is the one who gives the word, or even Jesus gives the word. And then the seed is the word of God. And we know this because Jesus, when the ones that were with the disciples asked him, you know, why were you even talking in parables? And he says, you know, if you don't understand this particular one, you're not going to understand the other ones. And Luke gives this same um, story. And in Luke, it tells us that the seed is the word. Now, if you know anything about seeds, seeds, they contain life. But a seed, although it has life, the only way it can be produced or we can see what was in the seed actually come to fruition is if we then cultivate or make sure that we're giving the seed what it needs to be able to bear fruit, making sure it's getting the sun, making sure it's getting rain or whatever, moisture, all of that, and and being in good soil. And then the sower is the same. The seed is the same. Those two are pretty neutral. But the one that has all these different variables is the ground. And in this parable, the soil represents the heart of the hearer. It represents the response that they have to the seed. So the sower is the same. The seed is the same. But the soil is different. And depending on which type of ground it falls upon determines whether or not that seed is going to produce or if that seed doesn't produce. And before Jesus goes deep into this story, he says, listen. In other words, I'm telling you, I'm commanding you to pay attention. Then he gives the parable and he comes back and he says, listen, not just with the outer ear, but listen with the ear of your heart. Let this word get down deep on the inside of you and let it penetrate your heart because that's how important it is. So he tells them about the sower and the, the, the seed. And the first place it falls is wayside. So the wayside ground is those that fell along the path. These are people that hear the message, but immediately it's lost. It could be, let's bring it to today, it could be maybe people who are physically present, but as the word is coming across, they're so distracted that they didn't actually get it. They may be thinking of other things, and so though there's a speaker, and though the speaker is sharing the word, their mind is somewhere else. They're, They're not even hearing the word. And the Bible says that the enemy is the one who comes and snatches the word. He snatches the word, why? Because he doesn't want them to understand it. And I think it is Luke that says, Luke 8, 12, it says that the devil is the one that comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. And I thought, why would he do that? And scripture literally tells us, lest they should believe and be saved. See, what the enemy of our soul is after is the word of God. What he doesn't want us to do is get the word because when you get it, you have the potential to believe it. And if you believe it, then whatever situation you are in, God can save you out of that. So what he does is he endeavors and tries his hardest to bring distractions. Now, the seed has already gone out. They haven't tilled the ground yet. So it lands on wayside. It didn't produce. It didn't hit any soil. The person who heard the word was so distracted, they actually didn't get it. I wonder if my pot roast is burning or, you know what, I got to get to the office tomorrow. Did I get all the stuff that I got to get done? And, man, my child this or, man, I got all this going on at home. And, man, the money is looking funny. And all of this stuff, the word is going across, but it's falling along the path. It didn't hit any soil because they're distracted. And the one who brought about the distraction was the one who doesn't want them to get the word. Because if they get the word, they might believe it. And if they believe it, then God might save them out of their situation. So he tries his hardest to get them distracted. And time goes by. And then the next thing you know, they're like, well, I was in church. But you know what? The word doesn't work. Is that true, though? Does the word not work or did it fall upon the wayside? Then the next um, ground, actually, before I go there, Matthew 13, 4 says that the fowls came and devoured it. And again, back in this time, because of the way that they cast their seed and it would just fall wherever, farmers had to watch for the birds because the birds would come and they would get the seed and they'd fly off with it. So they had to keep the birds from taking the seed. 
because they till the ground after they cast the seed. It's almost in reverse order. See, today, at least when I've seen farming done, they get the ground prepared first, and then they put out seed. But back then, they threw the seed out, and then they went and cultivated the land or went and tilled the ground. So they would see that, oh, this seed fell on the wayside. Let me pick that up. Let me make sure it gets some soil. So you get the word first, and then they tend to, or they get the seed first, and then they tend to the seed. Not the other way around. See, sometimes we feel like, it's God's job to kind of prepare the heart first, when really it's our job to get the word and then make sure that we're cultivating what we got in our heart so that it can produce a harvest. First Peter says, be sober and be vigilant, First Peter 5.8, because the adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So in my mind here that birds are the ones coming to try to devour the seed, I went immediately to 1 Peter. I was like, you know what? It is the enemy who's trying to devour the seed because he doesn't want us to believe the word of God. And if you hear it, you have the potential to understand it. And if you understand it, you'll believe it. And then God can save you out of that situation. So we have to not just understand that the word is going forth, but understand when different distractions come, that's the enemy trying to take the word of God because he's looking for whom he may devour. So there are those that are devourable. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a devourable. And then some seed fell along the stony places. Now, these are they that they hear the word or they hear the message. They get excited initially. They're excited at first. Who that word was good. Man, that girl preached. What was her name? Who that was good. Man, what, I mean, that word was good. Man, I love my church. I just love how my pastor breaks down the word. That was good. If you're from your south, you might dance a little. Who that word was good. That word, that word was so good. The Bible says that this is the person, they get the word, it actually falls on some soil, falls in their heart, they receive it, they're excited at first. But then, when trouble, let that sink in, when trouble, I need to say it again, when trouble or persecution comes, but look at why it's coming. When trouble or persecution comes, can you all pull up? Or you can see it at the bottom. I can see it on my bottom. Trouble or persecution comes for the word's sake. They let go of the word that they heard, and they eventually lose it. So these are the people that are sown on stony ground. Now, back then, again, because they're just casting out seed almost indiscriminately, some of the seed fell among big rocks. And because the rocks took up the place of the ground, if a seed fell next to the rock, it would, it would produce just a little bit, but then the rock would consume the moisture, and then the seed really couldn't bring forth a harvest. So the farmer then had to go move the rocks till the ground after the fact. So scripture, Jesus speaking, says, okay, the sower sows the word, but then the, this word, it fell among stony ground. And, and it could not produce. They were excited at first, but the minute they ran into some trouble, the minute they came against some persecution, the minute they endured affliction. Now, affliction means pressure that's brought upon by people. I mean, by, by, by circumstances. So pressure brought upon by circumstances. And persecution is pressure brought upon by people. Have you ever had any pressure that's been brought upon by circumstances? How about pressure brought upon by people? I know people right now that they've left good churches, they've left good jobs because of persecution. God didn't tell them to leave, but they couldn't handle the pressure, and so they left. Or some circumstances that people were like, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm moving across the, you know, the country, but did God tell you to move across the country? Obviously, y'all are here, but I'm talking about people that I know of. The Bible says they get the word, they're excited, but because of the pressure, they let go of the word. Jesus tells them before he even gets to talking, listen. Why? Because he knows that pressure is going to show up. None of us is immune to pressure, but will you hold on to the word or will you let it go because of pressure? 
It fell on soil and it produced, but not enough because it had no depth of earth. In other words, it could not take root because of the pressure. The sower is the same, the seed is the same, but the soil's different. I don't want to be wayside seed. I don't want the word of God to go forth. And I didn't even get it because I'm so distracted. But I also don't want to be stony ground. The word of God goes forth. I'm excited. Man, that was good. Season of change. Yes. Oh, God is for us. Yes, he's with us. Yes. And the minute something happens that brings about pressure, next thing I know, I let go of the word. And you know when you let go of the word because now you're like, I don't know. Is that really true what God said? And the enemy has been playing this trick from the beginning of time. He did it with Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible says that Adam got the word from God to not touch a certain tree. He obviously relayed the message to his wife Eve. The enemy, scripture says he was cunning and he was crafty. And he came to her and the first thing he says is, has God really said? He couldn't get her, he couldn't keep her from hearing it. Couldn't keep her from understanding it. So then he tried his next trick and it's been his M.O. from the beginning of time to get you to doubt the word. Has God really said? Does God's word really says that he heals all your diseases or is mine too difficult? Does God's word really says that he'll provide all of your needs or is my need too far gone for God? So he'll get us to then try to question the word of God. And when we get into those places where we are lingering in that questioning state, that means that word fell on stony ground. Because now he's trying to get me to question. It didn't take root. Luke said they believed for a while, and then in time of temptation, they fell away. Maybe you're believing God for a mate. You're like, I've been believing since 2008. So I'll just settle for this one. You look all right. As opposed to, no, he will give me the desires of my heart. Or, fellas, maybe you're believing for a mate. You're like, she'll do. As opposed to. When a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I have a friend right now, and that was her story. She, has been sing- she had been single for, I want to say, 20 years, just got married. And all day, every day, she's sending me texts, oh, God is so good. God is so faithful. And I'm like, I know what's going on. I know why she's saying all that. She's like, it's been 20 years. God is good. But she stood and believed And sure, counterfeits showed up the whole time she was standing and believing, but she stood and believed that God would give her the desires of her heart. She had a specific thing. I want a man who serves the Lord, who loves the Lord. And some would come and they'd show their true colors and people would say, oh, he's okay. And she'd be like, no, I know what I want from the Lord. And sure enough, she had to endure, but when temptation came, she did not fall away. And then it says that some seed fell on thorny ground. Now, thorny ground is those that when they hear the word, they go out and are choked with the cares of this world, the the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of life. And therefore, it brings no maturity. So they hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, And then the desires for other things choke the word. So this is the kind of ground that the seed falls on and it produces, actually it produces a harvest. But then weeds start to grow alongside the plant. And what weeds do, if you know about gardening, is weeds will eventually overtake the good plants. Sap the life out of the good plant. But In the heart of the hearer, what the word does is it falls on ground, it begins to produce a harvest, but then because of the cares of this world, because of the deceitfulness of riches, and because of the pleasures of life, the Bible says it chokes the word. 
Now, in New Testament times, when scripture talks about cares, oftentimes, primarily what it's referring to is cares or worry around basic provisions of life. So things like finances. Things like what are we going to eat? What are we going to put on? Where are we going to sleep? What about the rent? Gas is up. How am I going to drive? Where am I going to go? The cares of the world come and choke out the word. The word choke means to smother. It means to strangle. Now, none of those sound pleasant to me. I mean, pressure so intense that it asphyxiates the word. So the word took root, but then because the attention moved from what the word says to then all of, how's this going to happen, Father? How are we going to pay for this, Lord? What about this? What about my kids? What about my husband? What about my business? The cares of this world. The word cares implies anxiety about the things of this earthly life. It chokes the word. What are you caring about? What's bringing on so much pressure that it's got you now focusing on the pressure versus focusing on the promise of God? It says the deceitfulness of riches. You know that riches can deceive the quest for money? It'll never be enough. It's deceptive. And so people go hard and they run hard after money, but what they should do is take that energy and run hard after Jesus because he's the one who truly satisfies. He's the one that provides every single need. He's the one who's going to make sure that all of your needs are met with an abundance besides. But these are the things that choke the word of God. And I want you to picture it. And I like all of those my, that my husband gets on me because I like all of the the shows on TV, the true crime shows, I'm trying to figure it all out. I want to see all of the evidence, the forensic evidence, the biological evidence, the trace evidence. Let me see. And then I want to sit back and I want to assess who done it. And when there are stories about people who have lost their life because of somebody else's act of strangling, you know that that was not a pleasant way to go out. So I picture the word of God almost in human form, literally just being strangled because the cares of this world, I'm thinking so much about money that I can't hear Jesus. And all the while Jesus says, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. They bring life, they sustain life, and they change life. The seed of God is life-giving. The word of God is life-giving. And I don't know about you, but nothing that I have ever worried about in life has ever changed because I worried about it. That's wasted energy. And I know it sounds really heavy. I know it sounds rough, but God is talking to us about making sure that we are not wayside ground, that we are not stony ground, and that we are not thorny ground. That the seed of God works when you work it. And just like that farmer, the word goes forth, it's cast, but then it's our job to now go and tend to the word. To make sure that I am the last thing here, which is good ground. And good ground is the, word, the ground that when the seed of God hits, they hear the word, they accept the word, and then they bear fruit. And you can tell when a person's life bears fruit. Because what scripture says should happen, you see it in operation in their life. And we have to work to be good ground. This is not automatic. And even with good ground, the, the, the harvest that comes back, there's a variable there. It says some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. And because it's not automatic, I gotta be a hearer of the word, and then I gotta take the word home and do something with it. See, when we come in here on Sunday, Sunday is not enough. Sunday, if you think about Sunday or think about the word, think about it like you think about food. The same way you get food every single day, multiple times a day, you get snacks, you got your appetizer, got your little drink, you make sure you're, 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 you're nourished. I can't go without food. I'm a foodie, so I'm talking to myself. The same way we get food 
Every couple of hours, I got a trainer. She's like, eat every two and a half, three hours. I'm like, okay, girl, you ain't said nothing but a word. I can eat every three hours. And you eat, and you make sure you eat again, and you eat again. And after a while, your body starts telling you, I'm hungry, time to eat. And you eat, and you eat, and you eat. Do we do that with spiritual food? Because if we come in here on Sunday, and we get just one message that's not going to sustain you. It won't sustain you not even for that day. If you eat a snack in the morning, God help the rest of us. When we come around you and you're hangry because you haven't eaten but that one little snack in the morning and you think that's going to sustain you throughout the day. If in the natural I can't just eat a snack because Sunday really this right here, what I'm teaching, this is a snack. In terms of spiritual food, it's the equivalent of a snack. The meal is what you do on your own Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday again, and then Monday again, Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, when do I stop? When are you going to stop eating? In the natural. Exactly. And people who don't eat in the natural, typically they might consider there's a disorder there. Those that resist food intentionally, something's not in the right order. It's not the preacher's job to feed me my daily bread. It's my job. All he is doing is providing me a snack. So it's not, oh, well, the word wasn't that good today, or I didn't really like that message that he preached, or why are we on this series? It doesn't really pertain to me. What are we doing with the word of God individually? Because if I read it, if I hear it, it's going to bear fruit in my life. That's good ground. Now, I used to be the type that when I would hear God's word, and sometimes it would show me my gaps, like where I was versus where the word told me I need to be, I would feel somewhat condemned. I'd be like, man, you know, I'm just feeling like, man, I can't get it right. And then I came across Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So I said, okay, God isn't trying to condemn me when he shows me that there's a disparity here. He's not trying to bring me down. He's not trying to shame me. And we often quote John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who shall ever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we stop there. John 3, 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So then I realized God isn't trying to condemn me. What he's really doing is inviting me into a closer relationship with him when he shows me that, hey, you're here, but I'm trying to get you here. And the one who's trying to condemn me is the enemy. Why? Because he doesn't want me to get the word. He wants it to be wayside. I didn't like how she said that. Wayside. How about just let the word land and then go home and, Father, what do I do with the word that came forth today? So that I can be good ground. So I started asking myself, what do I need to do? And I posed the same question to you. How do we become good ground? If it's not automatic, what do I need to do? Go over to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 in the New King James, it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The New King James reads it that way, but the King James says, guard your heart. It's on here somewhere. Where is it? Proverbs 4. Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart. The Bible tells me that I need to guard my heart. Now, when it's talking about heart here, this is not the heart or the organ that pumps blood. This is the very seat of your emotions, your affections, your desires, the center of who you are. Scripture says to guard that part of you. Now, when you guard, you keep, you protect. And it doesn't just say guard it, but it says to guard it above everything else that you guard. 
And we can guard some stuff, right? We guard our homes, we guard our cars, we guard our lives with insurance. We, if you're riding bikes, you guard your head with a helmet, you guard your feet with shoes, we, we guard our nakedness with clothes. We guard, 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 guard. And scripture says above everything else that you guard, guard the center of who you are. Guard your heart, protect it, keep it. Why, God? Why do I guard that part above everything else? And he says, because it's out of that place that you derive your actions, you derive your thoughts. It's out of that place that life flows and springs from. It's out of that place that you have to protect it. Therefore, I can't just listen to anything I want to listen to because it might come and mess with the seed that's already in my heart. I can't watch anything I want to watch because the entrance into my heart comes by my eyes, it comes by my ears, and out of the words that I speak. Things get into our heart by what we see, by what we hear, and by what we say. And the Bible, God speaking to us, says guard that part of you. And don't just guard it, guard it above everything else that you guard because it's going to determine how far you go in life. And I know this might be a little tight to some folks, but I'm going to encourage you, or for those that like challenges, challenge you to start being more cognizant of what you're listening to. Is it contrary to Scripture? Because if I'm listening to my favorite artist and they're talking about things that are antithetical to scripture, it's going to cause the seed of the word of God to either fall on wayside, stony, or thorny places. If I'm watching things that are against the word of God, it's going to mingle the seed in my heart and it won't produce. And this is the part of us that is like that farmer. Now we got to go and make sure that the seed is actually getting moisture then now we're tilling the ground. Now we're moving away the rocks. We're pulling up the weeds. We're shooing away the birds. Why? Because I need the word to produce a harvest. And in no other industry, and in no other area of life, do we just come and behave however we want to. There's decorum. There's a proper way to conduct ourselves. And Christianity is really no different. I'm not talking about putting on airs and being phony. What I'm talking about is we can approach the things of God any way we want to. Meaning I can do whatever I want Monday through Saturday and then come in Sunday and expect God to be this genie, this magician. Come on, meet all my needs, meet all my needs, meet all my needs. Okay, the word didn't work. Not true. The word works when we work it. And we're in a season where God is changing some things. He's elevating some things in our lives. He's elevating us. He's calling us to be the city on the hill that sheds light into the darkness around the people that we see on the regular. And we need to bear harvest. We need our speech in line with scripture. We need our desires in line with scripture. We need to ache for the things that God aches for. We have to ache for the things that God aches for. But if the things that I'm watching and listening to tell me to ache for other things, I'm going to wonder why are they so emotional or why they do this or what's, what does it even matter? Or can I just come to God any kind of way? Now, we don't work for salvation. Understand that. You don't work to receive the salvation of the Lord, but scripture does tell us to work out our salvation. So I received Jesus freely. He gave me a free gift. He's called me to the kingdom. He's called us to the kingdom, but he didn't just call us to stay baby Christians. And whatever level you are at in your Christianity, you can grow. That's the second thing God calls us to, is to grow. Romans 12, 2 
says to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove, in other words, that you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And every time I see that word renew, I think of the original translation. It means to be transformed. The word is metamorpho in, in the Greek. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. And never when I hear metamorphosis do I just think a subtle change. I think of the life cycle of the butterfly. I think of a true metamorphosis from larvae to caterpillar to the chrysalis and into a butterfly. And every single one of those stages represents a deep transformation. And this kind of a deep transformation can happen in our soul when we're not conformed to the things of this world, when we're not consumed with the cares of this world, when we're not chasing after the deceitfulness of riches and God wants us to have the best. God created it all. He wants us to have it. When we're not running after the pleasures of life and Billy preached the message at the beginning of this series about the four areas that can entangle. And to check those areas so they don't lead into sin. Because the thing about sin, it'll take you further than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it'll make you pay more than you wanted to pay. And to make sure that I'm good ground, that I'm producing the harvest that God has called me to produce, I gotta get the word outside of Sundays. I gotta cultivate the word. I gotta ensure that I understand it, that I receive it, and that I'm productive. You received that this morning? Can you all stand to your feet with me? I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for the great transformation that is taking place. And for some people in here, your transformation is to receive Jesus. Once and for all, truly receive him. You say, maybe I received him when I was younger, but you know, life kind of took me off and I really haven't produced a harvest. It's the thing I love about God is that he is so merciful and so gracious and he knows every one of our steps and he's been pointing us into the direction of receiving his love and we'll continue to do that. So that might be you. You might want me to pray that you would receive Jesus, so your heart would be open to receive. Maybe you've already done it, like I said. But I also want to pray for those that maybe the cares of this world, they're a real thing and they, and they are distracting you. And you want to be able to do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, which is to cast all of your cares on Jesus, but it's tough, God. We don't have to live this life alone. He's with us. He's with us. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes? Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word can change us from the inside out, that it can produce a harvest. It can produce conformity to your image. And I pray for everyone here that God, you would meet us at our point of need. For those that are making decisions for you, God, I pray that this word would fall on good ground, that they would put their faith in you and follow you all the days of their lives that you would be the voice behind them, instructing them this is the way, walk in it, teaching them, guiding them. That they would be good soil. I pray for those, Father, that are facing 
decisions, tough decisions. God, they want to put their faith in you. They want to trust your word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, all those things, God, are trying to pull them away. I pray that you would give them supernatural ability, supernatural strength. Pray that you would open up the eyes of their understanding and give them a revelation of who you are, that you're a God who meets needs, that you're a God who exceeds needs, you exceed expectations. I pray, Father, for a peace that passes, that it it, it goes above all understanding. I pray for a tangible sense of your presence, God. Let us know that you are real. God, I pray for the changes that are taking place. Whatever season we find ourselves in, the one constant is you. And I pray, God, that we would lean more and more and more on you. Change us, Father. Change us, Lord God. Give us a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. I pray that they would reach for their Bibles before they reach for their phones. I pray, God, that they would reach for their Bibles before they reach for their coffee. God, I pray that you would give them a burning desire for you on the inside. I pray, God, that they would think of you in in their waking hours when they lie down, that thoughts of Jesus just run through their heads. God, I pray and I ask that you would invade every single part of all of our lives. God, I thank you that you are a God who wants all of us And we endeavor to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. God, I thank you. Help us to walk out your word. And to be who you have called us to be. Called to the kingdom. And then called to grow. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name, amen.